your seats and uh, we're getting ready to go here again welcome to everybody who is online with us today it's great to have you here my name is Sean and I'm one of the pastors here on this team and who's excited to be in church today that's not too bad. Well, listen, I, I have been away for the last couple of weeks, so I am actually really excited to be back and to see your faces and to kind of get going again on what God has got for us today. Um, first of all, uh, just I wanted to say thank you to everybody who uh, gave me some birthday wishes this week. I, I got older and it was fantastic. I got spoiled, but thank you to what you're doing. But more than anything else, I just got to say, I'm ready to get going. I got a word in my heart today for our church and we're ready to do this. Are you ready with me? Come on, let's go. Let's do this together. Uh, have you noticed today how politically charged the world is? Anybody notice this? <laughs> you know, like, have you seen what's going on around us? Now, again, if we this last week could just turn our attention, we'd go to Rome and we'd go to the Vatican. We'd see that we sent a contingency of people from our first nations across our nation to meet with the Pope. Needless to say, there is a political agenda that is behind these moments, and there they were. We could travel into another country that we have prayed and talked about this morning called Ukraine, who is under attack in the political regime of Russia coming against the country. But we know this about the political um, divisiveness that is, is everywhere around us. It is exactly that. We are in a divisive culture. Have you noticed this? But we also notice that when it comes to this divisiveness and when it comes to the political people and the nations that are there, each nation is represented by a person. Have you noticed this? Like, we're going to play a game here in a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment on a nation. You'll give me the leader. And I think you'll see what we're talking about. Let's try it. Russia. Oh, you guys are good. Ukraine. Zelensky. Canada. Be nice, be nice, okay, yeah, 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 be nice. Um, but you will notice that whether you are an emir, whether you are a prime minister, you are a president, or you are a king, each of these nations are their own kingdoms. And we know this about kingdoms. Kingdoms have rules and principles by which they are driven and by which they are living by number of weeks ago, I came across this quote in this political mindset, but it is in more uh, a particular quote on discipleship, but I think I could marry the two together to make a point today, and this, this uh, quote comes from Daryl Johnson, and, and this is what it reads to us today. The question is never, will I be a disciple? See, every human being on the face of the earth, of the globe, is a disciple of someone or some ideology. So the question is never, will I be a disciple? The question is always, whose disciple will I be? Like, what political regime do you follow? Whose disciple are you today? And there are camps of people, and I've spoken with these people who believe that, you know, the, the arena of politics and faith cannot come together. They're separate. They have no place to, to belong together. And I got to just say today that I couldn't disagree more with that statement. In fact, when I look at the lens of Scripture, politics and faith are completely intertwined all the time. And we have to pay attention to the political things that are happening around us, but understand that we also today belong to a kingdom and a kingdom that wants to speak to the political structures of this world. Politics frame people's ideologies because of that. 
Over these next three weeks, we're going to jump into a brand new series called The King. Somebody say The King. We're going to talk about this, this idea of how politics have framed our ideologies, but we want to, in these uh, times together, we want to discuss the political system that we do belong to. So let me make this one statement here to kind of set the, the table for us today. Jesus followers, those of you who say Jesus is your king, Jesus followers, you are not citizens of Canada first. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. And guess what the kingdom of God has? It has a king, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus wants to combat your political system with his. And I'm going I'm to kind of challenge us today and in these next few weeks as to what system, what kingdom do you belong to? Are you following the things of this world or will you fall under the kingship of Jesus Christ? And we're going to discuss the kingdom of God because we have a king whose name is Jesus. And guess what? He's in charge. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm ready to preach. I need you to be ready to respond today. Like we're ready to go. Jesus is our king. I'm going to get you there today. I promise. Um, so let's pray as we jump into this brand new series today. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have together today as we discuss this subject of the king. Would you please open our eyes to see the, with your kingdom and what it is about? Teach us today, Jesus, um, through this preparation and through the teaching. Anoint these words that you would be glorified. So I give you thanks for who you are and what you're doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. come on, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to, let me set the stage here for us today. Uh, we're jumping into this text out of Matthew chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, that's where I'm going to go. If you didn't bring your Bibles, good for you. You're going to have the words on the screen for you. You'll be able to see it. But the, what we want to understand is I'm going to lift out of this text today about four different nouns, and then I'm going to lift a verb. And it, it, it's important for us to follow what is going to take place as we establish this king whose name is Jesus. And so we're going to do that by reading. It says this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem. Somebody say Jerusalem. They came down to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them, two of his disciples, ahead. So the very first noun that I want to pull out of the text today is the word Jerusalem. Somebody say it again, Jerusalem. We want to talk about Jerusalem. Now, you'll notice for those of you who have been a part of faith for a really long time that the text I'm reading right now, you're, some of you are like saying, that, that's the Palm Sunday text. That's the triumphal entry of Jesus text. Sean, you're a week too early from preaching this text because Palm Sunday is next Sunday, to which you're right. It's next Sunday. But guess what? I don't care. I wanted to use it today. Because I want to lift something else next week out of the Easter story on Palm Sunday specifically. But today we're going to look at Palm Sunday. Because it tells us something about the king that we are going to be talking about. Now, Muslims around the world want to, within their lifetimes, make a pilgrimage to this place called Mecca. They need to get there. It's that important. It's just as important as Sean Chapman trying to get himself back to Mexico. 
It's super, it's super important for me. I need the beach. I need the sun. But I want us to see this because it was the same for the Jewish people. The Jewish people wanted to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was that important to these people because it was central to their faith. The, the temple of God was placed in the city of Jerusalem. And so what would happen is people would flood. But in this particular context, it was called Passover. And during Passover, which was a once a year type of visit, the Israelites would all make their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And what Passover was, it was reminding the Israelites of how they were on their freedom convoy from Egypt, right? Too soon with that language? Okay, I get it. Uh, they were on their freedom convoy. They were wanting to get out of Egypt to get back to their homeland, their promised land. And this is what is happening. People are flooding the city of Jerusalem. And I got to tell you, there is tension everywhere. Have you ever felt tension before? There's tension everywhere in the city. Everywhere you walk, you talk, you look, there is tension because of what is taking place in that city. What is the tension all about? It's because there are two different kingdoms that are beginning to combat against each other. The first kingdom is the Jewish kingdom. The people, the, the rightful heirs of the land. This was the, the people of God. It was this, the city of God. And the Jews had their dominion there. But there was a problem. There was a second kingdom that was also present in the city that day. But this kingdom had the authority. And they had all of the Jewish people under slavery and oppression, and they were called the Romans. Under their leadership of Pontius Pilate, who was the prefect of the Judean district, who was then also under the leadership of the Caesar called Tiberius, the top of the line, the big guy, he was the king of Rome. And Pontius Pilate then began to direct his attention in leading the affairs of that land. The Jews in this moment are under absolute oppression and attack, kind of like what we are seeing in the nation of Ukraine today. They are under attack in the oppression of the Romans. Political conflict was dominant in this moment. So in the Bible, with Jesus present, politics and faith collide. That's why I'm telling you today that these do not separate themselves. They are very important together. In 2018, uh, my wife, Lisa, and I, uh, we were able to lead a team of people from Colwood Church to Israel. Fantastic trip, a trip that we hope that we could perhaps do again with some of you. We went to the Holy Land because this was a pilgrimage. I needed to get there before I died. And uh, so we took a team of people. And I remember as I, I was reading this text, at the very conclusion of our trip, we finally made it to Jerusalem. And I was so excited. I wanted to see the place that I have read about my whole life. I wanted to see the place where Jesus went and where Jesus died, where Jesus rose. I wanted to see it all, and there we were. And we drove past what I just read in the text of Bethpage and Bethany. We drove by and we arrived at the Mount of Olives in our text as well. And our bus tour stopped and we were able to get off the bus. And the objective at that moment was that we were now going to walk ourselves down the Mount of Olives. The, like the very places and the paths that Jesus himself walked, 
we were going to walk down, and we would get down to the very bottom of the Kildron Valley, and on the other side of the Kildron Valley was the city of Jerusalem, and it was majestic in its sight, and we got to do it, so we started walking down, and there we are, and the Mount of Olives is a really important part of the whole story of Jesus, and we get down to the bottom, and it's the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where Jesus, on the night of, of his betrayal with Judas, was taken into the Roman authorities. Uh, the, they, 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 they went to kill him. We were there. And I continued my incline up into the city of Jerusalem, and it struck me something so odd. I walked into a particular part of the city, and it was known as the Muslim Quarter. And then I walked a little bit further, and all of a sudden I was in the Catholic Corner. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I walked over here, and I was now in the Jewish quarter. I'm like, what's going on? And then I walked one more time over here, and I wound up in the Christian quarter. And I'm like, oh, I'm at home. This is good. But the point was is that all of these people groups were vying for the political position of the city of Jerusalem. And it was amazing to me to stand in each of those places, understanding the tension in current-day Jerusalem for a city. And Jesus is on his way to this Jerusalem himself in our text. In Luke's gospel of this, I read to us from Matthew, but in Luke's gospel it says that Jesus is weeping over the city as he rides in. Why is Jesus crying? Like, what's going on? Is the donkey ride that uncomfortable? Like, what's going on? Why is Jesus weeping as he approaches the city? And maybe it was because in just days he was going to lose his life. That could be one of the things. And I'm sure there was a lot of emotional tension there for Jesus knowing like, oh, wow, like this is it. This is my last journey. I've done it for 33 years. This is my last journey to get into the city of Jerusalem. But I think there was a little bit more to it than that. I think Jesus is weeping over the city as he approaches it because he understands that the people's allegiance is to other kings. He recognizes that these people do not see him as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He sees that they are a lost people, still not wanting to recognize his kingship and his authority. And thus, Jesus weeps. The Jews wanted their freedom, right? They wanted their Messiah. They wanted a political hero to show up and to save the day. And they're asking the question, who is our king? Who are we going to follow into this battle to see these mighty Romans wiped out and annihilated? I actually believe that it's a question we have to ask when we hear the word Jerusalem. This first noun. We have to look at Jerusalem, and I want us today to ask these questions as well. Who is going to be my king? Who is your king today? In fact, I'm asking you today, whose kingdom do you belong to? And not only that, whose disciple will you choose to be? Because the people of Jerusalem that they were asking, as I'm asking the people of Colwood Church right now, to ask those questions together. The text continues, and we're going to lift the second noun out of the story, but it reads this. So Jesus tells them, go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you're going to see a donkey tied there, and a colt with it beside it. Untie them both and bring them to me, if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. So, like, I mean, just if you see a car today, just say, like, the Lord told me to come take this. And uh, don't do that. You'll be in jail, right? So don't do it. But this is interesting. This, this took place to fulfill the pro prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, say it with me, your king 
your king is coming to you. He is humble. He's riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. So the two disciples did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. The, the symbolism of this text is very critical, and it will offer some very powerful and insightful moments for us if we pay attention to it. See, the people of Israel were expecting a king. They were expecting the Messiah. In fact, we, we have the advantage today to go to the very end of the book in this book called Revelation. Perhaps you've heard of it. And we see in the, one of the very last chapters that this King Jesus who we're talking about today, he rides on this valiant, victorious horse. We've got this picture of Jesus coming in, and he's going to save the day from everything that is happening all around us. And this imagery that we hold today about the horse is a very important one. Because the horse represented military strength and power. In fact, the horse meant that you were ready to go to war and you were ready to take the territories that were happening around you. We understand that the, the political tensions of, of Jerusalem that day were that the people wanted to overthrow the Roman regime. And so they were looking for this king to come in valiantly, to come in and to, as in a war scene scenario, take back which was all of theirs. But Jesus says to his disciples, don't go get me a horse. He says, go get me a donkey. In fact, Jesus doubles down. Not just a donkey, but a donkey's colt. The baby donkey. That's the one I'm going to go on. A leader rode on a horse if he was coming to war. But Jesus decides to jump on the back of a donkey what is he doing? What Jesus is doing in that moment is he is signifying that his approach and his kingdom is going to be one of peace. In fact, Jesus is making a statement to all people then as he is doing today that his kingdom is going to be a kingdom of peace and humility. This is the king that came that day. And it's interesting because most Many of us in this room today would be, I'm a Canadian citizen, and I'm going to correct you one more time. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it means that you are a part of the kingdom of God. And guess what the kingdom of God is all about? Because Jesus is showing us through a donkey, through an animal, his kingdom is going to be one of peace and humility. And folks, if you are not being a part of that kingdom, there's something wrong in your connection with Jesus Christ comes in on a donkey. And the interesting part of that story is that it, I, it, it, I guess like, when I'm looking at it, about 500 years previous to the moment of Jesus riding in on a donkey, there is this gentleman, his name is Zechariah. And Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, it, it reads this, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. And look what it says again. Look, your king is coming to you. And he is righteous. And he is victorious. And he is humble. And guess what? He's riding on a horse. No. It says that he's riding on a donkey. Can you imagine someone making a prediction 500 years before the moment happens as to this king who's going to make his grand entrance into the city of Jerusalem and he is going to ride on a donkey? 
You want to know why Jesus made a comment to his disciples of go to that town over there and untie that donkey because Jesus was making a statement to all of the people that day that he was going to arrive as the king of the world and he was going to be the king and the savior to the Jews and to everybody else who would believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. On one side of the city of Jerusalem that day, you had Pontius Pilate, part of the Roman regime, and he was riding on a what? A horse, because he was all about military power and strength. And on the other side of the city, you had King Jesus, who was riding in on a donkey. Let me ask you a question today. Would you prefer to be locked up in a war with that king or in a war of peace with this king? What would you want? Because when I look at this text, I see that Jesus is not a war-waging king. This is what the people wanted, but this is not what he wanted because his kingdom is going to be established on peace and humility. The king, whose name is Jesus, he rides an animal. That animal symbolizes peace because guess what Jesus' name is? The prince of peace. Folks, I don't know what you're walking through today. Whether it would be fear, anxiety, unrest, uncertainty, I got to tell you that my king, he wants to speak to those things today. If you are feeling that restlessness in your spirit, I'm here to tell you that is not a part of the kingdom of God. That is not what he wants for you. That is not a shame plug or a play for your life. What I'm here to tell you today is that the king, whose name is Jesus, can offer you peace today and set your life on a different course if you let him. He is the Prince of Peace, and He is the only one. One of the visuals that I am I'm mindful of today is that there is this thing called death row. When somebody is on death row and their day comes, when time is up, this person begins to walk down this corridor, and on either side of this individual, fellow inmates begin clanking the rails of their jail cell. And they make this one phrase, they make this one statement, and they say, Dead man walking. When I was looking at this text, it was that phrase became the subject of where I wanted to go with today. But as I said earlier, this is a dead man riding today. Jesus knows full well where he's going. And yet he's going to do it. Why is he going to do it? Just point at yourself. You are the reason why Jesus was a dead man riding into Jerusalem that day on a donkey, just making the statement that I am he, I am the Prince of Peace, I am the humble one who has come to sacrifice my life for you today. But he will be a king who brings peace. The third and the fourth noun that I want to pick up with us today comes in the next few verses of the text. And it says this, that most of the crowd spread their garments. Somebody say garments. And the, on the road ahead of him, and the other cut branches, somebody say branches, from the trees, and they spread them on the ground. And Jesus was in, there, in the center of that procession. The next few nouns that I want to pull out to explain this king are garments and palm branches. In fact, in our text today, you would notice that it just says branches. So, Sean, why are you saying palm branches? Like, why do we call it that on that Sunday? For that answer, we turn over to the book of John, and in his gospel, he is the one that reveals to us that these are palm branches. 
And in these palm branches, when people were waving them or they placed the palm branches on the ground, it signified to the people around them that there was royalty present. In fact, it is the same John who wrote the gospel as the same John who writes the last book of the Bible called Revelation. I don't know about you, but have you noticed that a lot of people are talking about Revelation lately in their conversations? Like we were talking about how it is, it's the end times and it's the end of the world as we know it. But you don't feel fine, right? But it's the same author in both those places. And this is really interesting for us today because I want us to see what John, who wrote in John chapter 12 of the Palm Branches, this is the only other place that you're going to actually see this. And it comes to us in Revelation chapter 7 and it says this, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language. And they were standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes. And what did they hold in their hands? Palm branches. John is helping us understand today that the palm branch is a very significant piece of symbolism that is making a statement about which they are being given to. And it's only John who makes these connections together today. The fun part about this um, for us, too, is like uh, post-Easter, our church is going to be spending a, a pretty long time in the book of Revelation because it's time to talk about it because there's a lot of nonsense floating around right now with the book. And we're going to look at it and we're going to talk about it. But here, John, give us a little bit of insight into a heavenly, holy display of palm branches to what happened on the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 plus years ago. Spreading a garment on the ground was a sign of submission that was paid to royalty. It was an act of honor. When you wave the palm branches in the air, you were completely speaking about goodness, well-being, grandeur, and victory. As they waved those palm branches, they were making the declaration that the victorious king had now shown up. Little did they know that he was about to die just moments later, but they thought he was about to flip all the tables on Rome in that moment, I believe that some of the people in the crowd, they knew full well what was happening. They knew it because the texts show us that they watched his miracles and they believed. I also believe that there were other people in the crowd who were like hoping that he would come and destroy Pontius Pilate and all the Romans and he was going to flip over every table that wasn't Jewish anymore. But there were some people who were there probably thinking like, this is he, this, this guy is going to come in on his horse, but he's on a donkey. He comes in. And then there's a beautiful part of this text that we cannot ignore today. But in verse 9, it reads to us that Jesus is in the center of the procession. I mean, everybody's around him. The garments are down. The palm branches are down. The donkey and its colt are making their way. Jesus is on them. And Jesus, it says, is in the center of the procession. And it really came to my attention as I was praying over this, that this was a very spiritual moment that I am to ask you today in your life, if Jesus was the center of the procession, may I ask you today, is Jesus the center of your life though? Does he have the centrality to your life? Or have you allowed your allegiances to be given to different kingdoms of this world? To different things that you will now bow yourself down towards rather than allowing this king to have the centrality that he needs to have in your life, will you do it? Perhaps for some of us today, when we have given our allegiances away in the kingship of our heart, maybe it's due to your work 
Maybe it's due to your riches, your relationships, your recreation, or just your stuff. Or maybe like the people of the text, it is time to lay down those things at the foot of the king who is worthy to have the kingship of our lives. The one who will bring peace, who will govern in humility. Maybe today it's time for some of us in this room today and online to lay some things down so that the king can have his way in you. The second part of the verse 9 says, as Jesus was in the center of the procession and all the people around him were shouting. And this is what they were shouting. Hosanna for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And they're asking, even still, who is this? Even after all of the things that Jesus was showing them, the donkey, the palm branches, the garments, who is this? And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, to which we would say the king is here. A couple of weeks ago, my son and I had the opportunity for his graduation this was his grad trip. We uh, made our way down to Portland, and we went to this event called March Madness, NCAA men's basketball. Anybody a fan of this in this room? If not, you need to get help. Uh, I'm just kidding. It was fantastic. We went down because this is something that's been a highlight reel for us, and we finally got to do it after two years of no travel. It was so odd to do it, but we were there, and we were in this arena like with 18,000, 20,000 people. It was electric. I was loving what I was seeing. I've watched this my whole entire life, and we, there we were. Finally, we could make our way. But the funny part about this event is like we, 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 we kind of lost our voices. <laughs> quite fast. We were yelling and we were screaming. We were having so much fun. Like there are people on the basketball court. There are referees and I'm yelling at these referees. Like that's a dumb call or good call. You should come to my house. Like I'm totally trying to do whatever I can. There are these young kids who are just young men, and, uh, young adults and they're on the floor and I'm yelling at them. I have no relationship to these people but I'm yelling at them. Smarten up. Do this better. Do that. The arena is erupting at certain moments moments when people score, when people don't do certain things. And it was so electric and so much fun that we lost our voices. But I got to tell you today that my March Madness event holds nothing in comparison to King Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem that day. Because what this begins to show me as I look at this text is these people were desperate. They were hungry for their king. They were looking for their Messiah. They wanted freedom from the oppression of these Roman people. And so it shows us in this text that they begin to shout out loud, Hosanna! 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 which in Hebrew means save us. These people were so desperate to be released from their oppression that they didn't care who looked at them and said, shut your mouth right now. They were saying Hosanna because they understood that the king was present. And I believe that Jesus in that moment is thinking, little do you know what you asked for, people. You want me to come in and overthrow Rome because you're a little uncomfortable under their rule. I'm going to do things a little bit differently. 
In fact, just a few days, you're going to watch me hang on a cross, bleed to death for you. Is that what you want? Is this your king? Is this truly what you desire in your life? And yet they yell, Hosanna! And it's interesting because there is this people group out of the Luke text again. They're called the Pharisees. And they're listening to the people unashamedly proclaiming Hosanna about the king who is about to save them. And they tell the people around them and they look at Jesus. They're like, tell them to shut up. Tell them to be quiet because what they are saying right now is blasphemous. You're not the king. You are not the Messiah. And they are saying, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus retorts back to these religious people. And my encouragement to you today is don't be a religious person. That is nauseous most of the time. It really is. And he looks at them. He says, if they don't do what they're doing right now, these rocks over here are going to scream out in their place. Here's my encouragement for us today. Is there a rock out shouting you today? Have you forgotten that the king is here? Don't let no rock out praise you is an old song. It's an old slogan and it's a saying. But don't let no rock out praise you. Don't let no rock stand in the place of you proclaiming and declaring today, Hosanna is here. The one who is able to save has arrived. And he is more than able to do what you need in your life today. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. And he did so to save his people. Let me ask you today, do you need saving? Because Hosanna has come. The king is here. The best news about this king is that he's a victorious king. He's a king who came in on a donkey to signify peace. That his rule and his reign would be done differently than Trudeau, than Putin, or any other world leader. I want you to see today that the king is in control of who is in control. Do you see this? The king is in control of all these world kingdoms that we see. And we have a king who is victorious. And as he rode into Jerusalem and he grieved over that city, as he grieves over you and I today, he comes to that place as well. Where he's like, don't miss your allegiance. Don't miss the fact that I'm here for you and I'm willing to save you. Yes, from your sin and your separation from God, but from your circumstances as well. This is the king who is ready to establish his kingdom in you. In verse 10, the people all around, after all the signs and the symbols that Jesus offered to them, they asked, who is this? And I love this question. And let me answer it. Who is this? His name is Jesus. He is the King of the world. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the bright morning star. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. And He is unconquerable because He alone conquers it all. This is my Jesus. Hosanna. And I'm here to tell you today that we have got two kingdoms at war right now. And guess what the prize is? 
you. There's the kingdom of God on one hand, and there's the kingdom of heaven or evil. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret today. The kingdom of God wins. It's always victorious. You cannot lose when you're a part of this kingdom. So say to this kingdom today, get gone and allow the king, whose name is Jesus, to have his rule and his reign in your heart. Amen? Amen. Come on, will you stand with me today? Let's pray. With all eyes closed in this place, whether you are online or in this room, I'm going to ask you a question. Maybe perhaps you have not allowed King Jesus to be your king. Today would be a great privilege to lead you to the King of Kings today. He loves you. He's for you. He died on a cross for you. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to show you. He's not going to come in and he's not going to push his way around your life. He will come when you act in submission and humility towards him. And all it takes is an act of saying, okay, Jesus, I need you. Help me. And if that is you in this place today and you would love to welcome King Jesus into your life, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's, maybe you've walked away and you're like, I need him today. If that's you on the count of three, will you stick up your hand and will you look me in the eye and then quickly stick your hand back down? I'm going to scan this room on three. One, two, three. Is there anybody here today? Thank you for your hands. I see that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. See you. And if you're online today, the same applies to you. We're going to ask you to text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And a pastor will be in touch with you in this journey as well. But let's pray today. Father, you saw the hands today of people who are saying yes to King Jesus. I ask that today you would begin to set that new path in front of them that you are Hosanna, you are the one that has saved them. I pray that you would place a confidence in their life that this king comes in peace. And he comes with such dominion and lordship, not to rule heavy-handed, but to liberate us and to set us free. I thank you, Jesus, that you have come and that you died on a cross for my sin, to set me free and to restore me back to what you... Thank you that today I step into that new life with you, you're going to guide my life, and I love you today for that, so thank you. For the rest of us, Jesus, as we walk into this week, I pray that you will allow us to know that the King is here, and that King is powerful, and He is in charge. And I ask that we would walk forward in confidence, knowing the victory that we could walk in with, and I ask that you will help us today in that journey. So thank you for this invitation today to understand and to see our King. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, church, we love you. We hope that you have a fantastic week as you head out. Recognizing the King is here. Have a good week. We'll see you next week as we continue. Love you.